The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Great to have you with us today. Uh, if you're watching online, welcome there as well. Glad that you're tuning into one of our uh, worship services. We had a great morning. It's been a great day, and I'm excited about what God is doing uh, in our midst. Uh, a couple of things I want to let you know about that are happening, one of which is not uh, anywhere in your bulletin on your Connect card, and that is uh, next Saturday, this coming Saturday, uh, from 9.30 to noon, uh, Oakland Elementary School, across the street, having their annual carnival, and uh, we are intimately involved uh, with Oakland. Uh, there's Orange Grove Middle, and then Oakland Elementary School is the school right behind it. Uh, we've been serving there for a lot of years, and uh, the, the carnival is a great opportunity just to be a part of our community and to serve. Uh, my wife and I are going to be grilling and giving away um, hundreds, hundreds of hot dogs. And uh, so if you'd like to come and help and be a part of that, we'd love to have you. We're, we're very specifically also looking for some people uh, who could help with face painting. Face paint, not, not rolling people's faces, uh, but face painting. So if you have any skill whatsoever, we'd love to help. Make sure you see me after church, and uh, we, I'd love, to, uh, love for you to, to participate. And that's really a great, uh, great time here in our community, a great way to uh, love on the folks over at Oakland. Um, also, uh, beginning next Monday, in fact, this is on, it's not on your announcement sheet, uh, but it's on the back of your Connect card, and I referenced this in my Friday Five email. Uh, that went out on this Friday. Uh, next Monday begins our annual uh, Easter, 40-day Easter fast. And many of you maybe grew up in a tradition where you participated in Lent. It's pretty much the same thing. We just call it our annual Easter fast. It's a 40-day fast. It starts on Monday the 11th, and it goes all the way till Good Friday. And uh, we would like for you to let us know uh, if you'd like to participate. Um, you, it's not something you brag about or talk about on social media, but the reason we're asking you to let us know about it is because we would love to encourage you a little bit. And uh, we send out a little, during the fast, uh, we send out a little email, a little devotional, uh, just some words of encouragement to kind of, uh, you know, help all of us together in this journey. And fasting is all about denying yourself something Physically, giving up something phys physical so that you could focus yourself spiritually. Uh, it's really to help you with your prayer life, your devotional life uh, during this time leading up to Easter. And uh, so whatever you fast, it's different for different people. You know, some people might fast something that is related, you know, to food. It might be caffeine or sugar or uh, meat or, you know, who knows what it might be that way. It could be uh, something, um, you could give up social media, give up television. Uh, I don't know. It's different for different people. And you've got to figure that out and decide that. Um, and sometimes I tell people, it's usually the first thing that comes into your mind. You think, yeah, that's the thing that I probably ought to fast. And, um, but it's a, sometimes it's a stronghold. You know, it's an area of your life where it's kind of, you know, doesn't need to be the focus, but it's become a focus. And so you choose to give that up. And so we're just encouraging you on the back of your Connect card today, if you'd like to participate, on the uh, bottom where it says, my next step, I will participate in the Easter fast. Last year, uh, we had over 225 people uh, kind of join in with us together. And again, you'll just receive some words of encouragement uh, from the staff uh, here at Coastal during that time. So if you'd like to participate, uh, let us know about that. Uh, last weekend here at Coastal, 
goodness. It was so awesome. We really had a great uh, great time. Uh, we had a great marriage seminar with Marvin and Sharon Thomas, did a great job. A lot of people were here. And then last Sunday, I think it really caught a lot of people off guard just how emotional and inspiring the renewal of the, the marriage vows was. And uh, we had over a hundred couples uh, participate in that. And so just a lot of fun. And then afterwards, we had a great party. It was just great to be together last Sunday. And um, one of the best things about last weekend is that even in the midst of people renewing their vows and all of that, three more people gave their life to Jesus last Sunday. And uh, so that's awesome. That's um, that's why, uh, why we do what we do here at Coastal. Now, we only have two weeks left in this series called The Vow, uh, today and next Sunday. But I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. Uh, each week of the series, what we've been doing is looking at some promises or commitments that we need to make and keep uh, to have healthy marriages and strong relationships. Now, one of the more foundational passages in the Bible on marriage is found in the creation story, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 2.24. In fact, it's so important, it's so foundational, that Jesus repeats it in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to listen to it, first of all, in Genesis, and then I'll read it from Matthew. It says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then Jesus repeats it again in Matthew 19. Listen to this. Haven't you read, he replied, and again, he's talking about, haven't you read the scriptures? Haven't you read the Bible, uh, you know, from Genesis? He says, haven't you read um, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, the promise that I want us to focus on today really is centered around this word uh, united. And it, it originally comes from a Hebrew word, and it means to be completely joined together as one. Two separate, distinct individuals being joined together completely as one. So, let me ask you a question. Is that even possible today? You know, here we are in 2019. Is that even possible? Is it possible for two people to love each other so much that they would spend their entire life together? Is it possible that two could be so bound together, so bonded and united in marriage that nothing, nothing could separate them except for death? Is that possible? I happen to think it is. But to do that, it does involve some commitments. It involves a promise. It involves a vow. So here's the vow or the promise that I want us to look at today. So if you're taking notes, write this down. I promise to live together as one. That our life together will be about we and not about me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the vow of partnership, okay? Now, God's ideal, his plan, his ideal for relationships uh, and for marriage is one of harmony, of unity, of togetherness, intimacy, oneness. It's about, it's about we together serving and glorifying God, that our life will be about we and not just about me. But again, that's the ideal. 
And many times we fall short of that ideal, and many times we don't stay there. We go from the ideal, and pretty soon marriage becomes an ordeal, and eventually some of you are looking for a new deal, and then it's let's make a deal, okay? That's kind of the progression for a lot of people. But, but I think we could at least recognize that that's not God's goal. God's goal is one of, of unity, of oneness, partnership. Two separate distinct individuals coming together, united together as one. But how does that happen? Because it doesn't just happen, okay? It involves some work, some commitment. And so today I want us to talk about some areas of life that we really do need to work on and grow in if we're going to have that kind of unity and oneness in our relationship. So let's talk about some of these areas. And they all begin with the letter C. The first one is communication. The first area, communication. Now, that's probably a given, you know, for a lot of us. A lot of us talk about communication, communication in marriage and relationships. And we all know it's very important, but we also know it tends to be a really big problem today. Proverbs 13, 17 says, an unreliable messenger, uh, communicator, can, can cause a lot of trouble. Reliable communication permits progress. So if you want to make progress, if you want to grow in your relationship, you've got to learn how to talk with each other. And we know from studies that have been done that the majority of marriage problems include some sort of communication breakdown. A great philosopher once said this, if a man speaks in the forest and his wife isn't there to hear him, is he still wrong? Anyway. Communication is hard. It is, and it's exacerbated by the fact that, you know, in our culture, on average, really the low end of the spectrum is that people spend about 46 hours a week of screen time, television, computer, phone, and the average you know, couple spends about four minutes a day in, in actual like one-on-one -on -one conversation. I mean, it's, it's a real problem. And so one of the things we got to work on if we're going to have a successful marriage is this whole idea of actually communicating with one another. One of my favorite verses on communication in the Bible is in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Now, we ought to know that right there should be like the baseline. That ought to be a given, right? You know, stop using foul or abusive language in communicating with one another. And then it says this, let everything you say, everything that comes out of your mouth, be good and helpful so that your words would be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, that's a command. It's a command for all believers, and it certainly applies to um, our marriage. It replies to uh, relationships. We've got to learn this skill of good communication. And we, we've all seen couples who, you know, when they, before they get married, they talk all the time. You know, they spend hours upon hours talking, talking on the phone, going out for long walks and talks, and, and uh, they spend a lot of effort in communication. But then as the years go by, they tend to spend less and less time. To the point where they, you know, they end up at a restaurant, you know, eating their meal in complete silence without even talking. And not because they're so one, you know, it's just, you know, they don't know what to say anymore. You know, and, and maybe the reality for you is that all of your conversation now has been reduced to, you know, who's picking up who where, you know, and where's the next appointment and, you know, but it's something that you've got to keep working at. Now, the reality is that everybody in this room, men and women, we've all got different styles 
and different needs when it comes to communication. In general, you know, men turn, uh, tend to communicate in facts and small little sound bites. And women, on the other hand, tend to communicate in general in more emotional terms, emotions, and in megabytes. You know, uh, studies have been done that show that the average man speaks about 10 to 15,000 words a day. And the average woman needs to speak somewhere a, a minimum of 30,000 words a day. And, uh, you know, one woman said that the reason that is is because she has to repeat herself all the time because her husband won't listen. You know? But listen, the, the truth is, if for a healthy relationship, you've got to set aside some time. You know, make time where, you know, and ideally at least every day, but at least several times a week, where you kind of just debrief a little bit and just, you know, talk about what's going on in your world and, and you keep that connection open. Now, to do that, though, let me give you a, a, a word of warning, a word of advice. Speak the truth. Speak honestly. Because one of the things that causes problems in relationships is when, you know, one of you speaks in riddles or sends, you know, hidden messages. You know, occasionally a woman will say to her husband, you know, I shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know this by now. Ladies, can I just tell you, we cannot read your mind. You say, well, Pastor Chris, can guys be that dumb? Yes, we are. Let me just tell you, we are. We don't get it. You've got to spell it out. Write it down. You know, we don't get it quickly. Matthew 5, 37. I really think you can apply this to marriage and relationships. Listen to this. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Okay, speak the truth. Now, this next little equation, it's not on your outline, okay? But I want you to write this down. This is a very helpful equation. Here it is. And they all start with the letter T. Truth plus transparency equals trust. Okay? Truth. Again, honestly, lovingly, speaking the truth, plus transparency. No secrets. No hiding. You know, no, no secret passwords so people can't see your text messages or you've got this little secret online life. No, 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 no. Truth plus transparency equals trust. And if you don't have either one of those, you're not going to have trust. Now, here's what I want you to do this morning. Each one of these little uh, C's, each one of these areas that we need to work on to build unity and oneness, I want you to rate yourself. You know, one to five. You know, five is, man, we are great. We are great communicators. We've got no, no room for improvement or growth. And uh, one is, we are terrible. We have got to, we've got to work on this, okay? And uh, maybe this could serve as a little bit of a, you know, conversation starter later for your relationship. Uh, so number one, communication. Number two, consideration. Consideration. You've got to be considerate of your husband and wife. First uh, Corinthians 1.10 says, you must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Consideration simply means not thinking only of yourself. Again, it's this idea of thinking about we and not just me. It means paying attention to what your spouse says. It means showing common courtesy. It means treating people with respect and with care. You see, one of the primary purposes of marriage, I think, 
It's just to help us learn to be considerate. In fact, notice it says here, you must learn to be considerate. Circle that word, learn. You know why we have to learn to be considerate? Because by our nature, we are not considerate human beings. By nature, we're selfish. You know, I think about my needs and my wants and and my hurts. I'm I'm not thinking about you. You know, I'm thinking about myself. And one of the purposes of a relationship and marriage is to think, uh, to help us think about we, not me. And really that's about becoming more like Jesus. Because Jesus was considerate. So God's purpose in marriage, listen to this, this is going to be shocking to some of you, is not about making you happy. Now, that's a, that's a tremendous benefit of marriage when it's, when, 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 you know, it's going well and, and you're working on it, but it's really not the purpose of it. The purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, but it's to make you holy. Because when you get married, all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I don't get my way all the time anymore. It's not all about me anymore. You've got to learn to be considerate. Think about others. Marriage is this... Huge school of consideration. Learning to be unselfish. You've got to learn it more there than any other place. Now let me say this to those of you who are dating, who are single. if, If you are dating somebody right now who is not considerate, who only thinks about me and not we, run. Get out now. Because if they're not considerate now, they're not going to be considerate later. It's not going to improve. Because marriage just brings about more issues and more things to be aware of. And then when you bring about, when kids come along, all of a sudden you realize, man, it's not about me at all. Now, husbands, I think this is where we take the lead. I think this is where we, we've, we've got to work on this. 1 Peter 3, 7. Listen to this. It says, husbands... In the same way, be what? What's he say? Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I know most of you women just tuned out as soon as it said weaker partner, and you're offended by that, but you shouldn't be because it's got nothing to do with value. In the Greek, what he's really talking about, it'd be the difference between saying, husbands, you're just a plastic tumbler, a cup, you know, but your wife, she is a beautiful, valuable piece of china. And so he's saying is that weaker partner doesn't mean weaker in value. In fact, it means more value. More expensive, more, more important. So you've got to treat her with respect and with honor. Um, that's what he's saying here. Now, but men, this is what we don't need to miss here. Did you know that when you are inconsiderate, you know, when it's all about you and, and you're the boss and, and you're manipulative, that the Bible says that God does not hear your prayers. If you are bossing your family around, if you're being, unself, or being selfish and controlling and manipulative and harsh and inconsiderate, God says, the Bible says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. And you say, oh God, you know, I need your, need your blessing on my business. God, I, I need your help. And, and God might be looking at you and saying, you know what, too bad, because you're a selfish jerk. And one of the primary goals of life 
is to teach us to be unselfish. And that's what it means to be a godly man. That's what it means to take the lead in your home. Now, how do you show that? What are some practical ways to show consideration? Let me just give you two. One is just by being helpful. Helpful. Consideration is seeing what your mate needs and not having to wait on them to ask for help. It's you taking the initiative. Galatians 5.13 says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's about being a servant, just, just being practical and helping each other, you know, helping your spouse without her having to ask you. That means, you know, bringing in the groceries and not pretending you're asleep on the sofa, you know? It, it, it means, you know, waiting until both of her legs are in the car before you shut the door, Common consideration. By the way, men, let me, let me tell you, I know this is old school and, you know, your wife might act like she don't need to do this, but start opening the door for your wife. Listen, if you're too busy, if you're too much in a rush to open the door for your spouse, you're too busy. And, and again, if you're dating someone who is not showing you just that basic common courtesy, then you're probably in the wrong relationship. Be helpful. Number two, uh, be forgiving. Forgiveness, forgiving their mistakes. You are imperfect and you married somebody who is imperfect. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship because sinners marry sinners and we've all blown it. And so in a marriage, it's require, a requirement that you need massive doses of forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says you must make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Forgiveness is one of the primary building blocks of marriage. Of any strong relationship. And it's a way, a basic way of showing consideration. So rate yourself. Rate your relationship on this area. How considerate are you of each other? You know, how, how do you show that common courtesy? Are you a servant? Are you helpful? Are you forgiving? Number three, third C, uh, compromise, compromise. If you've been married for longer than a day, you know that every strong marriage has conflict. There, there are just some things that, you know, you don't see eye to eye about. You're, you know, you don't agree on everything. Somebody once said, when two people agree on everything, one of them is not necessary. Okay, I, I think that's true. The reason God has given you a spouse is so that all of a sudden you can see life through a different set of lenses, you know, sometimes they have a, a different background, uh, they have a different personality, God's wired them differently, and so all of a sudden you have this ability to have a different worldview, a different perspective. And any, in any marriage, there, there are just thousands and thousands of things over the years that you just, you've got to learn to be flexible, you know, to yield your own preferences, your own way. Now, when... When conflict arises, I think we usually tend to react in one of five different ways, okay? And everybody in this room probably has a kind of a, a lean, a, a go-to way of dealing with conflict. So I want to give these to you, but I want you to see if you can see yourself in any of these ways, okay? Number one is what I'm going to call my way, my way. It, it, my way says, no matter what, no matter what the conflict is, no matter what the difference is, I am going to win. I will assert my will until you give in. I'm right and you're totally wrong. My way is the only way. Now some of you, that's how you handle conflict. In marriage, in life, you just, you are persistent until you win. 
Now, the second reaction is what I'm going to call no way. Now, no way says basically I withdraw. Okay, I, 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 I back away from every conflict, from every difference, from every you know, pre- different preference. I, I, I'm ignoring the problem. I ignore the conflict. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. We're going to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. And, and really, nothing is ever resolved because you just refuse to handle it or deal with it. No way. And some of you, that's your go-to response. Number three is what I call your way. Your way is when one, you know, some of you have this way, you just give in all the time. It's not that you um, refuse to have conflict, you just always give in to their way. You roll over and play dead. You know, in other words, I want this person's approval so much that I'm willing to be a doormat. And I just give in to whatever you want. It's always your way. And you think that it's a very peaceful way to live, and sometimes it is on the surface. But let me tell you something. Long term, it's also a very frustrating way to live. And eventually, that person typically explodes, and the other person is in shock and doesn't know why. Well, it's because they've just been a doormat, a doormat for so long, and then eventually, it just catches up with them, and they explode. Now, the next way is what I'm going to call halfway. Now, halfway is, it's a lot better than the first three. It really is. It's where, you know, I give in a little, you give in a little, you win some, you lose some. And again, it's better than the first three. But what tends to happen for some couples in a lot of relationships is they tend to keep score. And over time, that can lead to resentment because somebody always feels like they lost a little bit. Now, I think there's actually a better way than halfway. And this is what I try to get couples to see. And that is God's way. God's way. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. It's it's recognizing that there's going to be conflict, but we are willing to work out mutual goals together because it's about us. It's about we, not about me. In fact, I not only care about solving the problem, but the truth is I care more about the relationship. I care more about you than my preference or my opinion. And so I want us to have a mutually satisfactory resolution to this conflict. Because you're more important than this issue. Our relationship is more important than this issue. And if you don't learn to do that, it's going to lead to destruction. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love does not demand its own way. Listen, in every healthy relationship, at some point you've got to realize that you don't always get your way. That the we is more important than me. And you've got to learn this idea of, of godly compromise where... You know, and, and listen, there's so many ways this comes up in a marriage over time. I mean, you got to learn how to compromise when it comes to raising children, you know, how you discipline, uh, where you're going to spend your vacations, you know, your holidays, how much time you're going to spend with the in-laws, how your home is decorated. I mean, there's like a million things. So rate yourself on that one. How, how you know, how do you do in compromise? How are you learning to be 
to be flexible. Is the relationship more important than the issue? And, you know, which, which, which way is your way do you choose to use? Number four, commitment. Commitment. I, I really think that if you are going to take one word that best summarizes the, the healthy, strong marriage relationship, I don't think it would be the word love, especially not the way love is used today. I think it's the word commitment. Because any two people, given the right circumstances, the right environment, can develop loving, romantic feelings towards each other. But that's not the heart of a, of a marriage that, you know, that lasts the long haul. In fact, the difference between marriage and just living together, it's really commitment. And God expects us to keep that commitment. That's his ideal. In fact, look at Malachi 2.16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And I bet those of you who've experienced it here in this room, you would agree with God. God, you're right. That's the ideal. I hate it too. It was miserable. And so he says, so guard yourself. Always remain loyal to your wife. Now, again, that's the ideal. That's God's standard, and we fall short of it. We do. Divorce is a reality. It's a reality in our world, in our country, in our culture, uh, in our community. And there's a lot of people, many people here in our church, who have been through the painful, difficult experience of divorce. And so thank God for His grace and forgiveness and for you know, new life. But, let's be honest. Even those of you who've been through it, you realize it's not God's ideal. Now, maybe the marriage you had wasn't God's ideal either. But you recognize that divorce is not God's plan. And he wants every man and every woman who stand together, you know, and make those vows that they would keep them for life. You know, in fact, you'll never really build a strong, intimate marriage relationship when in the back of your mind, divorce is always an option. Now, listen to me. I want to be very clear here. And I'm not talking about sticking around in a marriage that, you know, where there's abuse or where the other person walks out or your marriage has been violated in more ways than, than we could ever imagine. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is that there are a lot of people today who kind of secretly carry around this little, little escape hatch to their marriage. You know, in, in their minds they think, well, you know, if things get hard or I really don't like the, you know, the way things are going and if, I, if I'm unhappy, you know, I got this, this little key to the escape hatch that, that will always allow me a way out, divorce. And the reality is, in our culture, a lot of people think that way. Now, let me encourage you. If you are married, throw away that key. Throw away that key. Don't even leave yourself that option. You know, come to realize that, you know, when you said, till death do us part, that this is a lifetime commitment. Now, let me say this. This is important. For those of you, when you do go through 
conflict resolution, when you are going through a difficult time, when you are having a fight, stop threatening divorce. Don't even let that come out of your mouth. Stop it. In fact, just the opposite should happen. When you are going through a fight, when you're having a difficult time, that ought to be the the time that you you face each other, you look each other in the eye, and you say, right now, we're not having very good feelings toward each other. And that's okay. Because I love you, and I'm committed to you, and we're going to get through this together. Right now, I'm mad as fire, and I know you're mad as fire. But we're going to get through this, and I am committed to you, and I know you're committed to me. Listen, and if, if you're dating somebody, and they're always threatening to leave, you ready for my advice? Let them. You know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I mean, just... Just let them go. Let them leave. Because if, if they're, you know, if they don't understand commitment when you're dating, you know, if there's always the possibility of someone else, there's always the possibility of them coming and going, then you let them go. Let them go. You know, one of the things that people don't often realize is that commitment somewhere along the way will mean being willing to be unhappy for a while. I'm not saying it might, you know, it's a long time. Sometimes it's not. But somewhere in your journey in marriage, commitment will require you to be willing to be unsatisfied or unhappy for a season while you work things out. Now, You see, if divorce is off the table, if that's not even an option in your mind, you really only have three other options, okay? This is not on your notes, not on the screen. You might want to write these down. Three other options if divorce is off the table. They all start with the letter M. The first one is murder, okay? You could kill each other. I would not personally recommend that option, okay? One is murder. Two is miserable. You could just be miserable, You just stay in a miserable marriage for the rest of your life. And sadly, some people do that. But what a waste. What a terrible, terrible way to live. Because there's a better option. Number three is you make it work. You make it work. You do whatever it takes and you you do the hard work. You, You talk about these things we're talking about. You work through it. Rate yourself on commitment. You threaten to leave, you throw around the word divorce, one to five. Here's the fifth key to living together as one, united. It takes communication, consideration, compromise, commitment, but most of all, it takes Christ. Number five, Christ. It takes Jesus. It takes three to make a marriage stand, not two, three. Your spouse, you, and Jesus. God never meant for us to go through marriage with just two people working on it. Marriage is a three-legged stool. It takes three legs for stability. You never see a two-legged stool. It'd fall over. Your marriage is like that. It needs stability. And if all you've got in your marriage is just each other, eventually that's not going to be enough. You need Christ. 
You know, we live in hurricane country here in the low country in Charleston. We know, what, we know that if you don't have a strong foundation, when that storm comes, when that hurricane comes, you're in trouble. Your house might fall. Well, in the same way, your marriage has got to have a, a sure foundation, a strong foundation, because you are going to face a lot of hurricanes in life, a lot of storms. You're going to have a, a health hurricane at some point. You're going to have some sort of financial hurricanes. You're going to have some emotional hurricanes. I mean, a two-year-old, when you have that, that's, that's a hurricane, right? All kinds of problems and stresses and storms come. And if you don't have a solid foundation, it's, it's not going to stand. So what is the foundation? Isaiah 33, 6 says this, In that day, he... Jesus will be your sure foundation, providing a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What's the fear of the Lord? It's recognizing and acknowledging God for who He is. That God, you're God and I'm not. And you have a right to be number one in my life, number one in my spouse's life, in our marriage. And we're going to build our marriage around you. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to open up your life to Jesus. If you want a strong marriage, men, then be a godly man. You want a strong marriage, ladies, then be a godly woman. How do you do that? First, you open up your life to Jesus. You commit your life and your marriage to Him. You get involved in a church, in a ministry, in a, in a life group where you're going to get the support and prayer and encouragement you need. And you begin to talk about and work on all these issues. Communication, consideration, compromise, commitment, and Christ. Sure, you can read your Bible and pray all you want, but if, if that's all you do, it doesn't necessarily mean your marriage is going to get any better. You've got to start applying that. You've got to start working through the things that God leads you to work on. But if you'll both do that, if you'll both do the hard work and work on these five areas, man, you can have a marriage and a relationship that is marked by unity and oneness. But it's your choice. And I want, to I want to challenge you to commit your life to Jesus. And then commit yourself to working on these other areas. Because a good marriage doesn't just happen. You don't drift into a great marriage. It's intentional. And the greatest challenge in your life might be your marriage. And if that's not true now, it might be someday. The hardest thing you might have to do is to, to work on it. But it can also be the, the single greatest source of joy and growth and the most rewarding thing in your life. Today could be a fresh start. I mean, would you like that? Would you like the word united, one, togetherness to be a mark of your marriage? Would you say today, yeah, I'd like some, some barriers to come down that have, that have never fallen. There's some stuff. There's you know, some of these things we've talked about today that, that I need to work on. And if, and if you'd say, yeah, I'd like to work on our relationship and make it better. Maybe just as a, as a sign of intention. And we're, we're going we're gonna to pray together here in just a second. But as a sign of intention, maybe just reach out to your husband or your wife's hand and just squeeze it, just hold it as we pray. So right now, do that. Bow your heads as we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, 
help us to communicate better. God, help us to work on each one of these areas. Help us to learn to be considerate of each other. Help us to to compromise and to grow in areas of disagreement or preference. Um, God, give us massive doses of forgiveness. And Father, help us to deepen our commitment to each other, but most importantly, to you. Jesus, we really do need you in our lives and in our marriages, in our relationships. And listen, if you are are here today and you've never opened your life up to Jesus, that verse said he's the... We, are, we find salvation in Him. Not just the wisdom and knowledge, but salvation. What about you? Have you been saved? Listen, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a, a great teacher or a, a great philosopher or a, a great humanitarian. No. He came to save us from our sin. He came to sacrifice his life for ours. And if you're ready to come home and open up your life to him and receive forgiveness and receive salvation, just pray something like this right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I've blown it. I have, uh, I've walked away from you. I've pushed you out of my life. I've made a mess of things. I admit it, God. I am a sinner. But today, today, God, I turn my back on on that past, on my sin. And in faith, I turn toward Jesus. I ask Him, I ask you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I believe, I do, I believe that Jesus is your Son, God. I believe He came to this earth to to die for my sin. And he proved his worth and his, his power over sin and death by coming back from the grave. I believe it. I put my hope and my trust in him and in him alone. And now, God, for as long as I live on this earth, I just want to follow him. In gratitude, in love, I want to follow him and become more and more like you see me today. Brand new, forgiven. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for these relationships. God, also, again, pray for our single adults in this room. I pray, God, that they are learning and listening and and, and receiving the tools necessary to have that strong, healthy relationship. May we all live a life worthy of our calling, single, married, divorced, widowed, May we put you right at the center of our very lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.